This is a podcast by The Business Times. So I've been in the startup industry for almost 18 years now. I started my career in Silicon Valley, moving to Beijing, China, before moving back to Singapore. MiFi is a mental health startup and one of Asia's leading technology provider of mental wellness solutions in the workplace. We provide a mobile app that delivers one-on-one therapy, group coaching, and also uses AI to personalize self-care all in one handy solution. We are active in over 16 APEC countries, and we are very proud to have Y Combinator and other prominent investors backing us through this journey. Welcome to The Pitch by Garage, where we deep dive into startups and tech and learn key business building skills from entrepreneurs, business leaders and experts. Also, we'll try to unearth what makes successful entrepreneurs tick and maybe learn a lesson or two. I'm your host, Vanessa Ho, and I'm the co-founder of NUS Alumni Ventures, a student and alumni-run angel investment network and the outreach lead of SoCo, a social fi startup. Today, I'm excited to have a conversation with Bjorn Lee, founder and CEO of MindFi. We will go in-depth about founding story of MindFi, the mental health space, as well as Bjorn's entrepreneurship journey. Hi Bjorn, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So happy to be here. I was using the app. I really love the interface and there are like live classes as well by instructors. So how did you come about this whole idea of mental health in the middle of the past few years of pandemic when everyone was talking about mental wellness? Actually, I started MyFi back in 2017. Really started due to personal passion, or rather I would say personal pain as well. In 2017, I just ended a one-year sabbatical and I really wanted to work on something that delivers social impact to the world. The original genesis and the pain came 10 years ago, which was back in 2011, when I was still working in the US in Silicon Valley. I was suffering from very bad mental health, high stress levels, during 18-hour workdays, and I was working in the US, managing my team in Singapore. So I started developing chest pains. Went to see a doctor. He told me that my physical health was fine, but it was really mental health that was the problem. So I started meditating since then on his advice as well. So fast forward to 2017, I decided to build a company that actually focuses on mental health. And we were very, very lucky and fortunate to grow the company through the pandemic. But the road is still long. I think there's a lot more that we can do in this space and spotlight mental health and its benefits for society. How did you know that having a mobile app is the solution for a lot of people when it comes to mental health issues? And how do you choose to differentiate this from the existing companies like Calm? Well, everybody has a smartphone these days, especially the working professionals. So it is the most common way to actually gain access to specific products. We have been very fortunate to be featured on Apple and even the Google Play Store as well. That really helps to expand our reach. So we focus on being routine-friendly in terms of our mental health exercises and programs. Unlike other apps like Calm or even Headspace as well, which requires you to do a very traditional type of mindfulness meditation, our brand of mindfulness or even mental health exercises can be done before a meeting, while you're going for lunch, on your commute as well. And especially for those working from home days as well, you use daily objects to practice and improve your well-being. So that's the routine-friendly differentiation part of MyFi. I see. So you design it for, you know, the busy city person that's working day to night, but they still want to find pockets of time to practice mindfulness. Yes, it's designed for the hyper busy professional. Ah, like yourself last time. Yes, like myself. That's right. (laughs) 
I foresee one of the biggest challenges that you may face is that in the Asian society, mental health or mental troubles might be something very taboo to talk about. And people are a bit afraid to be vulnerable when they're sharing about their own personal problems Mm -hmm. or about tackling it. But in the Western society where a lot of these mental health apps started, uh, it's a very common thing and everyone is very open about sharing their problems. So how do you get all these conversations going among your customers or among your target audience? So the first thing we do is focus on not mental health, but mind fitness because that's less stigmatizing, right? And actually that's what MyFi stands for as well because mind fitness is really more about how you equate fitness traditionally associated with the body to that of the mind. And so we take a more performance-oriented view towards developing a mental health, right? You want to be more productive. You want to become a better team manager. You want to become a better leader, a better entrepreneur. As somebody who may just be joining a company fresh out of school as well, how can they improve their communication skills as well? So we really break down mental health into these bread and butter issues in the workplace. So does it mean that someone has to be troubled to use the app? Oh, absolutely not. But let's say if they actually get into moderate level or high Mm. level of trouble or stress, of course they should use it. But it's also built for those who are functioning at their peak, you know, capacities as well. People just want to get better. I know that one big segment of your customers are the corporate clients. Mm. You've got a lot of employees using it, HRs implementing this across their company as well. So is, is Mindfire really used for someone at their workplace seeking support from their employees or HR or, you know, an individual sitting in a bathroom store being very troubled and, and using the app? What are some of the scenarios or use cases that you initially thought of for this and did it evolve somehow? Well, I mean, I carried my phone around for about a solid six months in different types of office environments. So it's suitable for the boardroom than the toilet cubicle as well. Yes, we actually do both of that. At the dining table, whether it's during lunchtime, it's breakfast as well. Uh, We really built it for the entire routine of a modern, busy professional. Um, The idea here is that you may encounter stress or you may need a mood booster or some motivation at any point of time in the day. So we really built the content and the features to be really handy for that. When it comes to mental health, I'm sure it can get a bit tricky when there are complications mm. with your customers. Say your app detects that someone is very troubled, perhaps having suicidal thoughts. Does the responsibility of helping this individual lies on the HR where the employee is working or mindfight to come in and intervene or is it up to that person to seek support? Mm. Well, in the corporate workplace, it's HR's responsibility which they nobly take on to build a safe environment for their employees, especially if they are encountering maybe suicidal thoughts and so on. This affects a minority, but it's HR's job to make sure that they provide an anonymous and safe space for them to seek help. It is not HR's job to be able to identify at all. So I anonymity see. is a huge tenet of our solution. But with your data that you record in your app, I'm sure you can have some sort of signs where you can tell, okay, perhaps this person um, is a bit more troubled than, than others. So yes. what do you do with all this data? Yeah, so we are able to know that, but it's actually stored in encrypted servers. I so even ourselves may not know it, but we are able to actually use various encryption protocols to actually identify. And what we'll do is that we take this model of a step care model, mm-hmm. right, that's actually used in the medical field to recommend the most clinical uh, most relevant type of professionals for those in need. 
the resources, for example, clinical mm-hmm. psychologists are diverted to those that actually show very high levels of stress or anxiety, right? And then those who actually only show moderate or even low levels, they are deprioritized and put on the waiting list because of this intelligent allocation of resources. And in the future, say a large pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. wants to work with you because you have quite a huge and growing customer base yes. and they can provide you know, medicine or anything to help them. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there is also the risk of the data and the privacy. How are you going to deal with it? And how do you choose whether to take on this partnership with a pharmaceutical company, provide that solution for customers beyond just the app versus protecting their privacy? We actually follow industry standard information security and privacy policies, such as HIPAA, which is the Healthcare Information Protection Act of the US, GDPR, which is a superset of our own government's Mm. uh, PDPA, or even ISO 27001 standards as well. As a software company, you must be very responsible to make sure information privacy Mm. is key. When we work with the pharmaceutical companies in the future, we have been in talks with them actually, what we will do is to make sure that we ensure that user security is guarded first before we actually work with them to recommend any kinds of solutions or you know medicines to them. With all these mental health solutions that you provide, what makes you and your team qualified to provide all these for your customers? Right. So I'm not a psychologist, but my co-founder, Anita Sadasivan, is she's trained in both Australia and US and previously worked at Raffles Hospital. We have a panel of advisors who's a Harvard and Oxford trained psychiatrist. So Professor Kwa works at uh, NUHS and is a professor at NUS as well. So it's Professor Steve Hickman. He's a clinical psychologist in UC San Diego. That's the University of California, San Diego. So combined, they actually have a lot of experience that anchors the science and the research behind the solutions that we deliver. We aim to actually do more as well in terms of bringing more experts onto our solution. And coming up... We really want to drive this new community-centric model of mental health and make it non-stigmatized and inclusive. We see ourselves more as a mind fitness company and how we can build fit minds at work and in their lives as well. We also aim to invest more in our artificial intelligence and our technology so that we can personalize our product, our mobile app for different stages of an individual, different kind of physiological data like their sleep, their steps, their daily activity and their mental health states as well. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. As an early stage company, I'm sure that gaining confidence in a corporate client may be quite challenging. So how did you manage to acquire your first large corporate client and eventually grow your clientele base to include Visa? We actually had our first customer from the corporate world come to us rather than us going to them. Well, this was back in early 2020, right? So we actually shy away from, uh, you know, like doing this kind of PR because, you know, mental health was sensitive. Well, I cannot name this client for now, but they had about 5,000 employees all across Asia. And they wanted to be ahead of the curve in delivering mental health solutions because they were beginning to hear of this virus called COVID-19. So they have always been doing physical steps challenges for years Mm -hmm. as part of their annual campaign. And so for 2020, they actually wanted to do something new. And so they designed this specific challenge with us, focused on the mind, and rolled it out for their staff. So we had over a million minutes clocked out in just one to two months of uh, using the app. It was very popular. And that gave us confidence to actually productize that, improve the app, add in new mental health offerings as well. 
and roll out eventually to Fortune 500 clients like Visa. How do you measure the success metrics when it comes to programs like this? Well, we actually have another part of the product other than the mobile app, which is the, our analytics. So our analytics will study and analyze the employee data, anonymize and aggregate them so that we can show the health, well-being and productivity improvements or trends of the entire workforce. So this can be done at a monthly or even a quarterly level. And usually with certain clients, we can even benchmark that with their internal employee engagement surveys or even their insurance or sick days and leave days taken as well to actually draw any kind of productivity patterns or conclusions for them. Corporates, especially leaders, are very focused on return on investments as well. And that should be important, sure. But, you know, at the same time as well, you know, like uh, we also do an education to inform them about how the health and well-being of their employees do actually translate into actual productivity gains or any kind of ROI. So, so the ROI conversation is always at the tip of every corporate. And the burden is on us to actually justify how our solution can show that productivity or health gain. How do you choose to prioritize your attention and resources on growing your corporate clientele base, which is big ticket but few, or your customer base where you can scale and be a very big consumer app? Well, because of my own personal experience with uh, mental health as well, we do prioritize our solution to be more B2B for the workplace rather than consumers. Because I think that the pioneers in this field, such as Calm, needs to drive this in the consumer world first. As an early stage startup as well, we have to be focused in terms of where we deliver our value. And we believe there is a lot of different needs of working professionals. There is an unmet need between what the workforce requires and what HR leaders are designing or planning to provide. And we want to match that gap as well to deliver a healthier and a more positive working environment. Before MindFire, you really came a long way in your entrepreneurship journey. After NUS Overseas College program, you went on to start E27 to Stickery, which was funded by Google, to Zopin, which was eventually acquired by Zendesk, and then MindFire. So what was the biggest sacrifice you had to make? And also for you to know and be certain that, okay, startup is still for you. Yeah, I mean, like, it almost seems like yesterday for me. <laughs> Keeping the passion alive across these startups was um, hard. Because startups are roller coaster rides from one to the other as well. But I think because of my experience, my very first experience in the startup world was in Silicon Valley, right? I was really very inspired by the pioneers who drove the first dot com boom. And this is, you know, way back in 2000 already. I was actually in Silicon Valley in 2005 and I really soaked up the super creative and world-changing ideals of the world leaders there, right? Steve Jobs and so on. I was actually in Stanford Stadium when Steve Jobs gave that speech about, you know, how you should connect the dots looking backwards as well. And from then on, I think, uh, you know, it further reaffirmed that startups is really a very good way to change the world. And so over the years, I follow another personal philosophy of mine, which is Newtony, N-E-O-T-E-N-Y, which is to always take a very curious and beginner mindset to every new problem because then it keeps us alive and always constantly looking out for solutions rather than be a problem in the world. And so that is what drives me, creating company after company to try to find creative solutions to drive impact for society. And what's the North Star for you? What is the eventual big goal that you aim to achieve? Well, to be fair, you know, when I first started in my journey, my goal was just material riches. <laughs> with uh, MyFi as well, it's definitely more of social impact, especially after my sabbatical. I want to be able to align our 
business goals with the sustainable development goals of the United Nations. So we want to improve, in MyFi's case, mental health and well-being of our users and our clients. MindFi made headlines when you first raised funds from really notable investors, including angel investors from Carousel, Caro and Spin. Now, how did all these investors help MindFi's growth journey? We were very fortunate to have such investors. It was a case of introductions through friends and also because of the investor network of Y Combinator that we had some of these uh, individuals come to us. Y Combinator brought in not only angel investors, but also VC, venture capital firms as well. We had a lot more interest than we could take. So we were concerned about picking the right investors to move forward. Personally, the way that I have always evaluated investors is the uh, alignment of passion. Are they interested in this space for the social impact as well? Because I think mental health is a very new industry. So we want to make sure that we speak to them about their personal stories, why they feel that this is a space they want to invest in. Is it just investing their funds or are they also investing a bit more of their personal values as well? I think that is a more important assessment criteria for us at MyFi. And for young founders who are looking to get super angel rounds, how do you even reach out to all these people? Well, I would think of it as perhaps giving advice to a much younger version of myself. Don't always pick the low-hanging fruits because they may be worth more pain in the long term, even if they give you a short-term relief. They say it's like a marriage, right? (laughs) It is a marriage as well. And so you want to make sure that you don't jump in into a relationship with an investor, but you build on a dating analogy. You want to shop around a little bit, build a little bit of exposure and pick the one who best matches your values because it's a long journey. They may join you during the ups, but you want to know that they are there for you during the downs as well. So you want to think of certain questions or scenarios and social situations that you meet the investors and ask them certain questions to know whether they are doing this because they really believe in you out of their organization's goals or out of their own personal values. What was mindful before and after Y Combinator? I know it's a very flashy accelerator that everyone talks about. Valuation Mm. will flip after the demo day. But did the journey and the impact of the accelerator really justify the glamorized name? We were one of two batches ever in Y Combinator's history not to fly to the US. And so it was a slightly different experience for us. But the impact on the valuation, the attention from investors is definitely one strong area and they live up to their name way more than that for that. Second as well is that we had the real privilege of working with super smart investors, the partners of Y Combinator. They have built unicorn companies. One of them built a unicorn company in record time as well. The other one was actually responsible for growth of Airbnb from its early days till recent times before he joined Y Combinator. So we really benefited a lot from their war stories of how they built their startups, how they scaled growth as well. And it really accelerated our personal development. Right now, we're recording this in May, and May is Mental Health Awareness Month. What did employers or mental health companies do to push this topic further, and did you see any result? Yes. In May, our biggest drive is for a new feature in our app. So we released a new feature in late April as well. That is our community feature. So we are looking to pioneer this community-centric model of mental health, because traditionally, if you look at some of our competitors, mental health talks a lot about self-care. It's a very solo journey. Even when you speak to a therapist as well, it's still on a one-on-one basis. For Asia, we are much more of a communal society. So in May, what we really want to teach people is group care, right? And for the rest of the year, we intend to showcase various modalities inside the app, outside the app as well, in the form of group coaching, 
group therapy sessions, circles, which are forums inside the app for people to find peers going through a similar journey as themselves, no matter where they are on the mental health spectrum from well to unwell. So by adding this social element into MindFire, you don't have to go to like a group support counselling session or like a classroom setting to find other peers who are going through the same thing. Correct. Yeah, you can actually find it within an app on your own terms, whether it's anonymous or you want to be public as well. Right now, people are using all these apps to find their dating partners and swiping for that. Right now, through an app, you can also find partners and buddies to go through a mind fitness journey together with them. Absolutely, yeah. And what can we expect to see from MindFire over the next few years? We really want to drive this new community-centric model of mental health and make it non-stigmatized and inclusive. We see ourselves more as a mind fitness company and how we can build fit minds at work and in their lives as well. We also aim to invest more in our artificial intelligence and our technology so that we can personalize our product, our mobile app for different stages of an individual, different kind of physiological data like their sleep, their steps, their daily activity and their mental health states as well. The mental health industry is still pretty nascent, if not not as well publicized as other industries. So how big exactly is this market and what are some of the other players in this industry besides you? We are a corporate mental health startup. In terms of the market, we actually fit into HR benefits, especially the wellness component. In Asia Pacific alone, this is a 9 billion US dollar market. So I think a pandemic has probably driven this. It's also the fastest growing region across the entire world as well. So I'm sure when the data comes out again, this number may be much bigger. Some of the biggest players in this space include companies like Bupa, Mercer, maybe even Virgin Pulse as well. How do you plan to position MindFi among many other mental health players? In this space, we actually see ourselves not just as a mental health startup, but because we are B2B focused, so we actually see ourselves as HR technology startup as well. Within the HR function, we actually deal more with the benefits teams or also the learning and development teams as well. These exist more in larger companies where they take care of issues like talent management, talent retention, even talent acquisition as well. So we really want to make sure that we deliver the best practices, best-in-class solutions that are updated to serve the needs of these HR leaders and the workforces they take care of. Now is a good time to go into one of my favourite segments. It's the quick-fire questions. I'll be asking you a series of questions and you can just tell me your answer at the top of your mind. Okay. What is one of the biggest surprises you faced in your business journey? Well, uh, the company almost didn't have a market before the pandemic. I don't know what was going to happen. What do people usually get wrong about your business or your business model? Well, they think that mental health means that it's only for people who are unwell and have uh, mental troubles. What is one trait you want people to remember of you as a founder? Curiosity. And what would you have called your startup if you were back in your garage ideating years ago? Well, I was much less creative then, so uh, it's hard. <laughs> Probably something I cannot even pronounce myself. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me, Vanessa. And that's it for today's The Pitch by Garage. I'm Vanessa Ho. Join me again soon. I hope you have learned valuable lessons about business building and the mental health space. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a like, leave a comment, hit share, and don't forget to subscribe for more episodes on startups and tech. Stay safe and entrepreneurial. That was a podcast by The Business Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. 
For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A W E D I O. Do note all analyses, opinions, recommendations, and other information in this podcast are for your general information only. You should not rely on them in making any decision. Please consult a fully qualified financial advisor or professional expert for independent advice and verification. To the fullest extent permitted by law, SPH Media shall not be liable for any loss arising from the use of or reliance on any analyses, opinions, recommendations, and other information in this podcast. SPH Media accepts no responsibility or liability whatsoever that may result or arise from the products, services, or information of any third parties.